0: All right, so I have to break it to you, folks. Uh, we have a problem with Christmas, and it's uh, the problem with Christmas that we're going to try to deal with this season is that it's too easy. It's too easy to feel good. It's it's too easy to get caught up in it. Uh, and I mean, it, it's good. We sing a Christmas carol, and and you people light up, and your cheeks are are. Perked up because you're smiling and it's sweet. It really is. I love to see you guys smiling. I I love it just, I don't know, people just extra friendly and just, it's good. We we connect things like Thanksgiving and Christmas to family, uh, fond memories, joy, gifts, just good things. But the, problem, the reason that's a problem is we can settle for too little. Christmas is loaded, uh, but beyond, beyond the niceness of it that we can easily experience, there's a profound reality that exceeds that joy that you feel. And, and, mo- and we know this because most of the world loves this season. And people around town, and we're going to gather today with our community. We're going to be leading some of the music out on Main Street. There'll be a huge parade today and tree lighting and invite you to join us for that. That's good. But there's a lot of people who care nothing of Jesus. Nothing about Jesus. uh, But still love this. But what I want us to do is to to embrace the sweetness, because I love the sweetness, but embrace that. But take a step back and look at the big picture. What's going on here? And we need to... Not ask, you know, what happened at Christmas, but rather, what does it all mean for us that we still gather and celebrate? Uh, What is going on here? And what is going on is that we have light that shines into darkness. That's the big picture view of what's happening. Light shines into darkness. And we every single person in this room needs this so bad because there's so much darkness. There's darkness out there, and just, just this month, we, we just you turn the news, there's Paris, there's Tunisia, there's Mali, there's all this stuff going on in the world, but it's not just way out there, but close to home, we see pain and brokenness in the lives of people around us. We also see it in our own hearts, our own sin and our own brokenness, our anger, our addiction, our depression, our frustrations. You will see darkness. When you get up tomorrow, you will see some darkness in your day, whether it's around you, uh, whether it's far beyond us, or just deep within yourself. You're going to see it. So we need to understand how light can shine into the darkness, and we need to refocus and recommit to it, and that's what we're going to do. So to that end, we're going to look at the beginning of the Gospel of John written by a, a very close disciple of Jesus, John, and this is, we're just going to look at the prologue of his account of the life of Jesus. And we're going to look at John chapter 1, just one section at a time, a few verses at a time. And you received, coming in, or if you didn't get one, pick one, on, pick one up on your way out, a devotional which has reflections written by people in the church just about these same passages of, these same verses of Scripture the same themes and i we're going to just look a little bit at a time it's in the devotional and it's all going to kind of culminate you know when we gather on christmas eve we'll be inviting our community to join us um I invite you to invite others to join us uh, we will proclaim the gospel of jesus christ and just, so just pray for your own heart in this pray for others uh, pray for our church pray for pray for our community this whole thing so, but today, our task is these first five verses, and again, this is a real high-level, big-picture view of, of who Jesus is and how God works, and it's, it describes the Word, the Word who was with God, the Word who was God. And I want to pick up on three things about the Word. The first is that the Word is God, the second is that the Word is the Creator, and that the third is the Word brings light and life. So let's pray as we do this together. So Father God, we do thank you uh, for this community. We thank you for all that we celebrate. It's your goodness, Lord. And we praise you that you are present and active here and now. So may the words that are spoken in this time and, and may the thoughts of our hearts just be pleasing to you, Lord. Be our teacher in this time. So we give it to you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, first thing, the Word is God, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was, uh, was with God, and the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. So we have this, we have Word that is fully God, yet distinct, um, and with God in the beginning. The Greek word here is the word logos. It means word, but it has a very wide range of how we might translate this word or this idea, the word word. Uh, two main categories how we might understand this. The word logos can mean an th- inner thought or a logic. We get the word logic from the same logos. Uh, reason, logic, any, you know, theology, geology, just the understanding, the idea, the reason uh, behind things, knowledge. The second sort of understanding of this word is expression of thought. So a word that is spoken, a speech or a message. You know, I use the word prologue. So this is the the, the John's prologue. He's right. the words, the message that he's putting before his, uh, his, the body of his writing. That's, that's really what we have going on here. Elsewhere in Scripture, it's described like this. Hebrews chapter 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. And literally there, not just by his Son or through his Son, but literally, God has spoken in Son, it was It's son that is speaking. This is Jesus, not just another prophet, but the actual message himself. Jesus is the message. But this word, logos, the, the word. There, there was another Greek understanding of, of logos. There was... A sense that there was an ultimate, so Greek philosophers of the day, that there was an ultimate logos, an ultimate meaning, an ultimate thought. But here we have Jesus as the logos, the word. More than an ultimate thought, it's an ultimate thinker. It's not just an idea, it's a person. The word is personal, not an idea. Or Jesus is the idea. He's the point, and he's pointing to himself as the message. And this is, this is profoundly unique. And again, bear with me for a minute, because we're, we're backing way up from, the, there's the baby, there's the virgin, the, there's Joseph, there's angels, there's the, the inn and the manger. But backing way up, we have the word, the logos, coming into the world. And if we think of, of Jesus as the message, that's different and unique than all other systems of thought and world religions. Because you could take away f- founders of religions and, and the, the ones who bring the idea. For example, in, in Buddhism, the, if, if the Buddha never lived, it doesn't change the philosophy. Because he was pointing to a way of life and a way of thinking and philosophy. He was pointing to it, and people could still follow it, even if he wasn't in the picture or never even existed. If you could prove the Buddha never existed, Buddhism would still be the same. Same with Hinduism. Take any Hindu uh, deity and say, okay, this deity never existed. It doesn't destroy the, the philosophy. It doesn't destroy the religion, because there's one great truth that is expressed in all these countless deities. It's not dependent on any one that was grounded in some kind of history. Even in a sense, Islam, if theoretically, God could have chosen in, in their system of thought, any prophet. Now you might and again,. A lot of us come from different faith backgrounds. We have family members from different faith backgrounds, people in our community. Uh, So I'm not, I'm I'm just trying to show you how Christianity is distinct. But you could take someone like Muhammad and God could have chosen someone else. God, in in their worldview, didn't. But any messenger, because it was pointing to, to something else. In Christianity, you can't take Jesus out of the equation. It couldn't be some other prophet because it wasn't that Jesus was pointing to a truth, pointing to a way of life. He said, I am the truth. I am the way. It's found in me. If you could prove that Jesus never existed, you would destroy Christianity. Because it's not a philosophy. It's about a savior. It's about a man, the God-man who came and walked and served and lived and died. And rose again. Actually, you don't even have to disprove that Jesus existed. If you could disprove that the resurrection didn't happen, the Apostle Paul writes, he said, If 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 you could prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the whole thing falls apart. Any philosophy, any morality that's tied to Christianity, it does not hold together anymore if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead. He says we, would, we should be pitied among, if this isn't true, we should be pitied among all men. There's nothing left to it. Jesus is the ultimate reality. But many people don't believe. For many people, there is no ultimate logos, no ultimate idea, no ultimate expression of, of truth and of meaning and reality. And, it, and we see that today. But at the same time, this, was, this is no different than the world that Jesus lived and walked in. That John, the, the, who's writing these words, the world that he lived in, many people didn't believe that there was any kind of ultimate reality. And if you don't believe that there's an ultimate reality, an ultimate expression of, of God, of, of a creator, then you just end up across a spectrum of, of life. You could There was a groups back in, back in Jesus' days, there was, there was the... Uh, the Epicureans, who, this was a group of people, their worldview was just, you know, life is just about pleasure. There's no ultimate meaning, so just have a good time. Just live it up. Just do what feels good. And on the other end of the spectrum, there were groups like the Stoics, and they were much more about, you know, there's no great ultimate meaning in life, but but you should live a good and moral and hard-working life so that our... so that our uncomprehendable reality is bearable, we you know, just do what is right. And if we all do what is right, then things will work as best as we can understand. And those are very different ways of dealing with the issue of not having an ultimate reality, but they're both ways of avoiding Jesus, the ultimate reality. Okay, so I apologize. This is... Again, remind us, we're way up here. We're way wide in this idea. It can feel very abstract. It can feel philosophical. But let me me try to bring it down a little bit. John is writing this gospel, and he's telling us there's an ultimate reality, and it's Jesus. And if you don't ground yourself in that ultimate reality, you're going to ground it in something else. You're going to make up your own logos, your own ultimate thing. And that's hard to create. It's hard to sustain. So, a simple question would be, you know, what drives you? What is your ultimate reality? Why do you get up in the morning? What is the purpose and the meaning of it all? Why do you get out of bed? Is it just your own health and your own vitality and your own sort of physical existence? If that's the center, I just remind you that you're going to get sick and die someday. As my good friend used to say all the time, the death rate is hovering right around 100%. Um, is it your family? Do you put all your hope in, in the people in your life who you love? If that's the center, that's hard to sustain that because they will let you down. They too may get sick and die but there's bro- there's brokenness in those relationships they aren't perfect they can't sustain us fully perhaps the thing that drives you when you get out of bed is your own success your own achievement in life just an accomplishment again if that becomes the ultimate reality in your life the center around which other things revolve that's a very heavy weight and if you are unsuccessful that's crushing weight but if Jesus is your main purpose and Jesus is the ultimate reality, you will have unfailing love and acceptance at the center of your reality. You will have abundant life and a life of meaning and purpose at the center. You will have an eternal life that not even death can kill at the center. And what on a practical level we this is this is our goal as we reflect on Christmas, as we reflect on Jesus, that we, if He is the Word, the Logos, the ultimate reality, the ultimate expression of God, then we can't just take a little bit of it. Just a, a halfway. He doesn't allow for it. And the reason why is our second point here, that Jesus, the, the Word, is God, but Jesus, the Word, is the Creator. So verse 3, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. What's happening here is that the gospel writer John wants us to understand, he's describing once again creation. He starts this whole, verse 1, in the beginning. That's how the whole Bible starts. And anybody reading this who was familiar with the Old Testament would hear the words in the beginning and they would immediately be able to finish that sentence. You know, when we pray together, you know, someone will say, our Father, and everybody, who art in heaven, how, you, know, you know what comes next. If somebody were to stand up and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United... You, you know the words that come next. When, when, somebody, when a first century Jew writes, in the beginning, immediately people would say, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth was formless and void. Darkness is hovering over the waters, over the surface. You know what comes next. So here, in the New Testament, starts. In the beginning, was the word. And what happens in back at the very beginning creation is that God speaks. So there's darkness, and God speaks, and and light. There's an utterance, this word. And God's word comes and light comes. And out of the disorder comes order. And out of this chaos comes the, the, all of creation. And God is separating light from darkness. So at creation, God speaks and it comes to be. It's a visible representation of who God is. And here, the image is the word is the ultimate expression. It is, it, it is the utterance of God. So therefore, the word, Jesus, is creator, author of all things. This then explains to us how we are to live, how we are to understand the world around us. It, simply, I, for example, a child builds out of Legos a creation. And it's shown to me, Dad, look what I made. And I look at the creation made of Legos and I say, that's fantastic. What is it? Because I don't know. I'm looking at it. I can see that it's been made. I can see that I even have a sense that there's a designer, but I really don't know. And the child says, Dad, it's a spaceship. It flies. And here's where the laser beams shoot out. And here's where the people on the spaceship play video games. And here's the guns. And this is a tail. And this is the wings. Oh." it makes sense to me because you were the creator of it and you have showed me now this thing that I thought was beautiful and lovely. I now understand how it works. Colossians 1.16 says, all things were created by Him, Jesus, and for Him. So I can look at the world around me and I can uh, think ideas and I can communicate with my neighbor, and I can do these things, but I can't fully understand how life really works apart from Jesus, the author of life. And yet, people don't believe. People don't accept that Jesus is the creator and the author and helps us understand all of how life works. They don't have an ultimate truth that's rested in Jesus, so they turn to other things. On one end of the spectrum, people might turn to, to just—if I want to understand how the world works, I just turn to science and and, and measure things and and you know ultimate truth and, per, and and what I can really understand, I know through science. But when you push that all the way to its limit in terms of your understanding of how life works, you end up with randomness. You end up with uh, molecules crashing into one another, and a great cosmic accident that brought about life. It, there's, there's not much there. There's not much hope or purpose in that. We try to make the most of it. On the other end of the spectrum, so you have the sort of non-spiritual side. On the other end of the spectrum, apart from Christ, people come up with great spiritual ideas that there is uh, the purpose of all things, and the great truth is is somehow spiritually within us or near us and we just need to connect with this spiritual truth that's all around. If you, but if you push that to the limit, if you discover this spiritual truth for you and I discover mine for me, and now we have contradictory truth is nonsense. And then we end up with, a, well, I think such is, is right and true about the world and somebody thinks something is else is Different, but also right and true. And that's how fights and, and wars and, and chaos, it's contradictory nonsense. Neither of those things bring hope. And they seem to not have any common ground. Again, this is all apart from Jesus, the scientific and the, the super spiritual. But here's the difference, or here's the similarity. When you get up in the morning, if you're holding to one of these views, whether it's scientific or spiritual, when you get up in the morning, you don't have anybody to obey but yourself. There's no no body of truth that you have to adhere to or conform to, that you have to submit your mind or your heart to. Nobody to obey. You're your own master in either case. But Jesus comes and says, I, I am the creator. All things were made by me and through me and for my purposes. And I can show you this way. I can show you life. I can, but, but if that's true, I have to then submit to it. I can no longer rest on just what my mind can think logically or what my mind can conceive spiritually. Or my heart, I guess somebody might say. I can't rely on those things. I actually have to rely on him. Um, You know, you could get a... a, you have a group of students. I've heard it explained like this. You get a group of students, college students, they have a piece of poetry and they're reading it and they're trying to understand the meaning of it and they all have different ideas. Oh, well, this poem, I believe it means it's about this. and, And... Another student might have a different idea. And the professor has to say, well, those are all equally valid ideas. You're doing a great job analyzing and and trying to understand this poem. But if those students are are sitting around a table and the author of the poem walks in and says, actually, this is what what it's about. I wrote it. And this is the intent of the poem. Then the professor can no longer say, well, all your ideas are equally valid. They're all okay." They're not. There was an intent that has been made known. This is what Jesus is doing. It's like, was it this week or last week? Carly Simon comes out, the You're So Vain song. It's like, who is the song really about? And she said, well, this is, verse two is about Warren Beatty. Thank you. Um, There's no more debate. The author has said, this is what it is. This is what Jesus is doing here. But here's what it requires then. If we are to accept that Jesus is the creator and the author of life and it's for him, then we have to obey what he says. How you use your body, I designed your body. So the way that you use it is important and we have to o- obey that. Uh, this is how you to relate to your neighbor. This is how you are to be as a parent, as a spouse. This is how, to use, uh, this is how you use resources This is how you spend time. This is how you know me. We must obey. Again, no halfway. So the word is God. The word is the creator. And lastly, the word brings life and light. We see this in verse 4 and 5. In him was life. We'll start with verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus came to bring light into the darkness. And we know, because we've read the rest, not just the prologue, but we've read the whole gospel account of why this is possible. That God created the world good and full of light and full of goodness, but we go our own way. We reject our creator. We we pursue our own conception of what, what is right and wrong. We sin that breaks us, that brings darkness into this world, it brings darkness into our own hearts. We inherit that darkness, we contribute to that darkness. But Jesus Christ comes and he takes all that darkness upon himself. On the cross, becomes the victim of all the darkness. Takes our darkness, dies on the cross. And our sin and our darkness dies with him, but he rises to new life. He trades us our darkness for his light. But he had to pay for it. Paid for it with his own body, his own blood. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's bringing his light back into the world that he created. And he's renewing it and restoring it. And that's possible. And we need it so bad because we see the darkness in our own hearts. And we see the darkness in the world around us. We want light to shine into our darkness. So, again though, if we need this so bad, and if this thing is so good and so light, why do we not embrace it? Why do people reject it? And Jesus tells us. Because people kind of fall in love with their darkness. Because when light comes in, it exposes darkness. It exposes what's there. D- Jesus got into a conversation Again, just a couple chapters later, in John chapter 3, he gets into a conversation with a religious thinker named Nicodemus. He's talking about this new life and this light that comes into the world. And Jesus told him this. This is John 3, verse 19. Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. No one wants to be exposed and have the darkness of their own heart exposed. No one wants to give up their right to be their own center or to define their own center of their life or to conform to someone else's way. We want to cling to our own our own systems that we think up, whether it's through science or spirituality, we want to cling to those things because we made them and we, they work for us, but they're not working. It brings about darkness and we don't want that exposed. You don't want it exposed in your life. Your neighbor doesn't want it exposed. Just make it look like it works okay. We have to learn to love and accept the light. Jesus said this, he went on to say this, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God whoever lives by the truth comes into the light we just need to acknowledge what is true and what is false it does expose our it exposes our false conceptions and understanding but the light shines in it and look at verse 5 this is the key verse here the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That word "overcome," the word "overcome" here could either mean uh, to overcome or understand. Overcome physically, you know, win, be victorious. The darkness is not victorious over the light, but the, the darkness doesn't uh, fully understand and comprehend all of the light. I think both meanings here are are in view. That the the, the result is darkness doesn't win. That's the point. So very practically, what we need to do is confess, expose our sin, expose our darkness. And we talked about this at length a couple weeks ago. I commend that message to you if you can find it on the website or however you want to connect with that. So we don't have time to go back into that. But it's as simple as saying, God, I've, you created this world you are God. I am not. But I've gone my own way. I've, I've tried my own thing. It's brought about. It's, it's just not working. It has broken my relationship with you, with people around me. I turn from that. I turn toward you. I receive that light. Lord, let your light shine in my darkness and expose even more of this in me that your light might shine in it. And that's what it takes. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So just to, uh, to wrap up, and again, I kind of apologize. This is the intent was to, to look at this real big picture, and I think we've done that, but it can feel abstract. We've got a few weeks to figure this out together, so I'm not too worried about it. But on a practical note, would we commit together to reground, recenter, reconsider? Or if you're just exploring this, would you commit to exploring and to Digging deep into what it means that light shines in the darkness. One practical way we can do that is to just read these together. These are not theological treatises. They're just people's reflections of of what this means in their lives. And perhaps you'll be able to connect with some of these. Today's reading is fantastic. I read it this morning. But would you commit to journeying with us through this and let the light of Christ shine in to our darkness. Amen.